Discover new mind and body hacks to thrive as a human today. The Institute for Aliveness is here to teach you all the things you never learned in school. From talking poop, sex, childhood trauma, emotional intelligence, psychedelics, and of course, fasting and food. This is a podcast that changes lives. Join your host, Dr. Andrea Page, as she travels seven continents to find the most captivating, impactful humans for you. Well, this was a fun one. I sit down here with Mark Walsh, founder of the Embodiment Conference, and he interviews me about, you know, capital T trauma versus little t trauma, all the things that indicate health and life in general. He's very playful, a bit of a a moody chap. (laughs) I think you might have fun listening to this one. Enjoy. the show today who's literally putting an effort right now <laughs> and makeup especially for the show is uh andrea page uh, who is clearly trouble and we have a friend and you guys are both trouble and me she's the mm-hmm. institute for aliveness she does stuff with emotional intelligence her website tells that she's been to like 500 countries and speaks 12 languages by the age <laughs> She's clearly an overachiever with lots of interesting hobbies from biohacking and work. And I, I, I don't know where this could go. It could end up in just a terrible place or a wonderful place, but I think it won't be boring. So, Andrea, welcome. Thanks. You exaggerated a little bit in that intro, but I'm down. <laughs> I, what, what's with all that? What's with the showing off? What's with all this stuff? So you, you've, you've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, what's life for if not to do stuff and and become through the doing? Okay, so let, we, we will, I'm with you, I think, but let's start out at the beginning. Uh-huh. Where were you, where did you grow up? Oh, really? That's where we're starting? <laughs> yes, we are. We're going to place you and stereotype you. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, I see that that's your intention. I was born in the non-cornfields of Columbus, Ohio. No Columbus. Ohio. My teacher <laughs> is from. I knew it would be interesting. Columbus, as, as 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 interesting as a glass of warm water, right? It's a pretty average Midwestern kind of town. Well, interestingly, there's been a lot of movies made like set in Ohio recently because it's this perfect version of Middle America that you don't really get other places. And I, my childhood was like that. It was very sheltered. Grew up in a, a kind of safer, more well-off area that was like a city an urban space just like anywhere else so standard right not good not bad and i can see why you found an institute of aliveness coming from columbus that 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 makes sense that now it all those two things don't have relationship to me but i'll leave it in your brain institute of aliveness exactly they're opposite um so institute for aliveness mark for for of aliveness all about purpose Um, moral imperative for aliveness okay as opposed to deadness so let's talk about your journey with aliveness we we're interested in the body and embodiment i know that's one of the areas you're interested in so tell us about your sort of journey with the body Mm, very interesting uh where to start i mean i myself noticed that i vacillate between various spaces of extreme embodiment and extreme disembodiment, which we're all familiar with when our nervous system gets dysregulated and we go into a freeze state and we kind of just start talking out of the head and we're not present with what's here. And um, I think my journey with embodiment probably started to answer your question explicitly when I was one year old and put in a ballet class. (laughs) 
Wow. One. That's, that's yeah. like, it's early, right? And ballet, I was, I was just around a big group of dancers in Italy, and a, a lot of dancers are quite disembodied because ballet, you know, to a slightly less extent, modern contemporary, pretty tough, right? It's pretty like oh, yeah. the best thing for being aware of oneself and people become performative, but not necessarily in their bodies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, it's very much the external kind of hierarchy upon you. Um, agency is lost, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I later went to a ballet class. Um, I had stopped dancing in, in like uh, year 11, which is like 16 or so. And then I went back in university. I went to ballet class. And by then my rebellion had already been born. And uh, I remember the teacher saying, Tandu, Tandu, one, two, three. And I was like, fuck you. And I walked out. <laughs> it was just something that, you know, didn't fit anymore. Um, yeah. So I'd say that's where the journey started. All right. And this was, uh, how old were you with the first fuck? Sorry. That was. <laughs> the rebellion, somewhere around 16. Somewhere around 16. Okay. And this is in the States still, because you, your accent's kind of a mix. I know you speak a bunch of languages. Like, where, 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 what, still in Columbus at 16? Yes, yes. It's when I started living abroad. I was sent abroad at 16, and it was my first time outside of the U.S. And I, before that, I thought Los Angeles was the end of the earth, and any expats listening to this will be able to identify. And then I was like, wow, there's so much more out here. And people see the world differently. And uh, since then, yeah, I've just, I, I became an expat fully at 18. From 16 to 18, I was spending a lot of time abroad, and haven't looked back since and don't plan to. Culture is one of our sort of subjects on the podcast. One of the things I'm fascinated with. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some of your big kind of wake ups uh, when you as a teenager started living in other places. Mm-hmm. Cultural wake ups. Yeah. Uh, great question. So, ooh, I mean, so many. Um, I lived in Shanghai when I was 19. I'll date myself. That was 2007. It was still the cowboy era. Um, and I know many people listening, I think your audience is older now. And many people listening are like, she's so young. Other people are like, wow, what an ancient woman. Um, anyway, it was a time of freedom. As a foreigner living in Shanghai, it was like you got to do anything, go anywhere at any hour of the day. Anything was affordable. I was already weird because I was an expressive, curvy, white female. And so already put in the weird category, I decided to run with it and did ridiculous things. And so whereas I was kind of embracing Chinese culture, because you can't not when you're living there. At the same time, I was finding my own exploration of rebellion. And um, I, I'd say there was a big embodiment piece there as well um, to, to feel so free because you're not trying to fit into any mold or be seen in a certain way. Like you're already rejected and thus, you know, freedom. I feel like that's a little bit what Berlin is. It's kind of like the outcasts from all over the world that come together and uh, are weird together. It's, it's, there is something in what you're saying around that when you're kind of abroad, and I had this, for example, in Ethiopia, so I can <laughs> fit in here. I'm never going to be accepted. The color of my skin just totally makes me stand out. Um, you know, you're clearly a Caucasian in China. Um, f- there's a sort of sense of like, fuck it. What do I really want to do then? Because sort of the bets are off anyway. Like I'm already a freak. So I might as well just go with the flow here. I might as well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of out of the cage a little bit. And there's something very liberating for the first time one. I say once, I think this, I've heard other people say 
similar things about travel. There's something very liberating about being, oh, I don't have to. And even just someone going on holiday has a sense of that. Like your normal self, embodied self is loosened slightly when you're in the sun in Spain, as opposed to in England, in London or whatever, right? It just sounds like a more extreme version of that. Yeah. I mean, the anonymity definitely plays into it as well, especially if you're someone in the public eye. Um, But the, the, yeah, I mean, China is so extreme. It's so much more extreme than anywhere else I've been. And the number, the correct number of countries I've traveled to is somewhere around 100, not 500. There aren't 500 countries. Uh, (laughs) In your date book, there are. Um, So, but it, it's just like a whole nother level. Like I loved Ethiopia is actually one of my favorite countries and I highly recommend it to anyone, wherever it is on your travel list, move it up. Um, people always and- ask, I've traveled a lot as well. People, I mean to interrupt, I'm Irish, we're allowed. Um, people always ask like, what's your favorite country when you've traveled a lot, right? So like you, I've traveled a lot. I don't know what my country count is, um, but it's, it's pretty high. And people will say, what's your favorite country? I'm like, oh, fuck off. Just ask a better question. Um, well, I mean, I respond to that question and I say, for what? That's exactly what I say. Well, for, for a holiday, Italy. For work, fuck no. No way. Um, you know, like, what, what mood am I in? What time of year is it? Um, what am I trying to do there? Am I trying to practice? Yeah. I mean, is it, you know, India in the summer, you know, the rainy season? So what's your least favorite country and why, why are you racist against people from there? Let's discuss that. Like, why do you hate people from this place? <laughs> All right, let's do it. Fuck, you want to get ugly? All yeah. right, let's get ugly. I will put my throat out there to be slit. Um, so, <laughs> very clearly, my lead, I have never said before, let's leave, except for Senegal. Um, as a French speaker, the variety of French spoken there was very affronting to my nervous system because when you speak French, you don't just speak French. You, you imbibe French ways of being, which has a modesty to it and a subtlety and uh, like, would you like rather than do you want? And for moral reasons. It was like an embodiment that just, you just went, no, like, cause there is an embodiment in each language, right? Like when I speak Russian, I get more aggressive mm-hmm. and I enjoy that. When mm-hmm. I, you know, geez, I kind of get a bit more relaxed, a bit sleazier. And when I particularly Brazilian variety. So when you spoke this kind of French, it just was like an embodiment that you were just like a no to. It wasn't so much me speaking it, right? It was hearing it. It was it was Senegalese embodiment of French. I mean, given they're some of the biggest people in the world physically. And I think I do have some kind of childhood trauma fear around things very, very, very tall. Um, and so that mixed with the French reverberating so loud, like, qu'est-ce que tu fais? What do you do? Rather than, qu'est-ce que tu fais? Like, it's, you can feel the, the embodiment of it. And, and it was too much for me at that point in time where my nervous system was, what I was, I had actually just come out of 40 days of silence. So that probably played into it hugely. Um, and then everything was just bustling. And it was, I mean, I was in Dakar, so it was, a, it was just like city life. It was too overwhelming. I couldn't, I just did not feel safe in my nervous system. And so your question, which was interesting, was about racism and why am I racist for, uh, of the people from there? And it's funny because there's a story that goes like this, that I was walking down the street with the person I was traveling with in a market space. And 
I mean, market spaces all over the world, you get hustlers, right? You get people wanting to sell you things. You get people wanting to do whatever, right? I can deal with hustlers. Usually I say, thank you, no, and ignore them and keep walking on. And then when they keep pestering, I just keep ignoring. I've given my answer. And that happened uh, with a son dude who, you know, meant well, just wanted to sell his whatever. I don't fault him at all. And then the person I was traveling with was not so experienced in markets and really had a people pleaser thing about him and kind of like kept speaking to this person like, no, 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 thank you. No, thanks, bud. No, 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 thank you. Like, you know, which kind of reels uh, a hustler in more. To the point where this dude decided to say to me, why won't you talk to me? What are you, racist? You don't like Black people. In French, right? And so I was like, oh, Oh, no, you don't. And I turn around, I look at him, and I wrap my arms around him in a big old hug. Right. And at that point, you know, you just feel like you're talking embodiment. You feel all the energy in his body drop completely drop and he was so astounded and affronted and I was like Sava <laughs> like it, it's it's okay now and he said uh-huh and we walked off and he walked off it was just like like is it racism right or is it the situation and I think that so much of that's enmeshed if you if just all of you listening think to your growing up and all of the racist stories that maybe you were told or things in your culture that are purely racist because every culture has something about a different culture. And what about that is actually situational and less about the people and their race or anything else. And so that, I think that was a really telling moment for me because it's like being called on your shit, like as sure as, as a, a white woman growing up in a city in the United States, I was definitely taught to be racist. So that's in my veins. And during my time living in South Africa, I had to really detox this when I was like running in the countryside and there would be schoolboys coming towards me, like a group of like 10 young black boys. And inside of me in my subconscious came this understanding. I'm, I'm in danger, right? When the fact of the matter is that I'm not at all in danger. Yeah. yeah. And so I had to really go through that, that by the time I was in Senegal, it was like, wait a minute. No, I have no problem with you. I'm just not interested in what you're selling. Yeah, it's a good um, we we embody different prejudices we take on, and and also different um, actual adaptations, right? Like you know, being scared of slightly larger people might actually be quite adaptive. You know, it's not um, it's not mm-hmm. a prejudice, but larger people have to deal with that. Just physically larger people, black people have to deal with that. You know, there's different in adaptations, whether they be prejudicial or not that then take, we take into another context where they don't necessarily serve us, right? I mean, that's the, the horror of embodiment as opposed to the beauty of it is that we also embody all our prejudices and our culture's prejudices and everything we've learned. And travel's very interesting for confronting us with that. Yeah, somatic, traumatic memories. Totally. I mean, it sounds like trauma's been part of your education you've had some research into that there's something you've heard you talk about nervous systems a few times it sounds like that's something you're curious about human physiology is kind of my my throughput uh, my stronghold and I haven't been a trauma specialist um at all in my career um I 
at the Institute for Loudness, we really root our curriculum in trauma because that's the only honest place to start for all human beings. Um, but more in my career, I work with people who think they're healthy and show them how much healthier they can be um, and health at all levels, not just physical. And so what ties through. Hang on. Trauma is honest place to start. I'm not going to let you get away with that. Like, what the fuck do you mean? What do you mean by that? Like, what does that mean? Like, if we don't. Yeah, totally. What do you mean? Uh, the last thing I want to say before I go back there is that it's our, it's physiology that ties through the body, the mind, and then an essence of purpose. And so physiology doesn't lie. That's why it's, you know, made for lie detectors. So trauma is an honest place to start because to say, to, I find that, I mean, and uh, this isn't just me. I, I hope many people <laughs> think this way too, that in the modern world, when we talk about trauma, we're thinking of an alcoholic father raped when you were young, a car accident when you were five, something like, like, like extreme trauma. Sure. Whereas the truth of the matter is in Reichian thought and philosophy, and for anyone who doesn't know, Wilhelm Reich is one of uh, Freud's main students who took on uh, psychoanalysis in a way to focus on trauma and look at trauma patternings. Um, and, and through this, we develop certain character structures, which I like to call filters that we look at when we see the world and everything we do is through them. Like I can guess, yeah, if I can, <laughs> that yours might be um, the endurer or the masochist. Yeah. And, and, and it's a core belief that life is just hard. I just have to keep going. Life is just hard. Does that sound familiar at all? Or does it resonate? One, I didn't give you permission to dive. Uh, so no, I don't give you consent for this process. And uh, two, you're wrong. But uh, but I, I agree on the wrong. Hey, I thought you said we could go anywhere. I asked. Uh, you, you you didn't ask. You you continued. But I mean, for me, I'm with you on the podcast, Mark. I'm with you on the basic idea that we have filters and that they're embodied and they affect our perception, our relationships, and blah blah blah. So I'm with you on the basic. The mood is in a bad mood. Should we do some stretching or breathing? A grumpy mood today. I know. I can tell. Do you want to change that? Quite. I mean, that's experimental physiology, right? There's a clear physiology, and that leads to different cognitions, and it leads to a different way of looking at the world. I'm aware of that. So I'm also giving you the benefit of the doubt because I'm aware of the fact that my grumpiness isn't your fault. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe perpetrating it is rather than changing it. My, my people-pleasing part of me would like to lift you out of your grumpiness for the sake of this podcast. Perpetrator? So that's a strong word to use on someone being slightly grumpy. I would reserve that word for people um, doing serious <laughs> abuse. Um, so trauma... But is that like we would reserve trauma for people who only have extreme trauma? Talk about this. Because we're all fucking traumatized in the most beautiful of ways. You know, mommy and daddy left us when we were young at some point. And that was horrific to us because we, we didn't have an ability to regulate our own nervous systems. Right. We didn't have an ability to survive on our own, et cetera, et cetera. And that's okay. Right. It's just we have to be honest about that and start there. Um, Not this love and light. Right. I think we're on the same pages. So in terms of pros and cons, I've been really thinking about this the last few days. So normal kind of view on trauma was it was extreme pathology. It was, you know, you had to win a war, you got PTSD. And then people realize that actually we all have nervous systems. So we can all have levels of numbing or hyper arousal or whatever. And then the sort of nervous system kind of narrative came in um, or, you know, character armor that we all have some response of dealing with the world. Right. Whether that's, you know, they always have fun names, don't they? In the like masochistic and narcissistic and things like that. 
Um, but we'll have some way of dealing with the world that's a safety strategy, which then fills us, right? Um, another way I'm wondering is just thinking of it in terms of learning. Like we all need, we all learn some approach to deal with overwhelm, which is adaptive, but then it has a non-adaptive element, right? There's an element to it, which is then not helpful and we can keep learning. My worry is how do we hold these two things? I'm genuinely thinking out loud here. I don't have an answer. Mm. That if we say trauma is just for very hurt people, then everyone else doesn't get to be in this dialogue and they have bits of trauma. Because as you say, when you're a kid, you can be overwhelmed by something which isn't seemingly awful, but it is subjectively. Like my friend's kid who's just had a, they've just had another baby and now the kid's super jealous and feels existentially threatened by the very babies, right? So yeah, super common, common, right? It's like my friend's like, why is he reacting so aggressively? And I'm like, because he feels like his caregivers are going to leave him and that's life-threatening, even though it's illogical, Right. So, but if we reserve trauma just for the most extreme cases, then everybody else doesn't get to learn from this and realize why their patterns are fucked up. And, you know, it's like, we're all screwed up. We're all at least neurotic about trauma, even if we're functional, we're all eating crap we shouldn't or being mean or whatever it is, um, being overreacting to certain things. But if we kind of take this word trauma into this domain, what are the people left with who have been through some real shit? Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, what are the people left with who were just had really serious child abuse or whatever, you know, come back from the war or whatever it was? Because now everyone's using their word and now everyone's traumatized. So how do we help both of those things? How do we simultaneously? I, I genuinely don't have an answer for that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I could brainstorm with you. And I don't think that I'm the one that should be giving that answer at all. I mean, it would be something like extreme trauma or acute trauma. or And I'm sure there is some kind of scientific specification. Um, and yet is that enough, a big enough problem? Like if you're weighing that against all the people that are excluded from looking at the results of their childhood trauma, I mean, we could say childhood trauma versus lifetime trauma. I think that would be a good kind of clear split, even if something crazy happened in your childhood and it was more lifetime. Yeah. Say big T trauma and little T trauma. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's good nervous system health kind of in some ways takes it away as i said i think learning is a good model because it's like the, the other thing is the pathology frame goes from minus one to zero but my guess is you have what i would call superpowers so superpowers are when someone heals and then just keeps going so you haven't gone from minus one to zero you've gone from minus one to plus five whatever right yeah, yeah. Like, for example you're like actually can i uh, mention a quality you have which is positive which might be related to this Sure. Um, so you're very expressive, right? The few times I've talked to you, you seem very expressive. You've got an, an aliveness. There seems to be integrity in what you're selling in there. Um, and that's not normal. Like most people can go from numb to normal, but not into that quality of expression and aliveness, right? So it's sort of like there's somehow like more is possible. And if we're just in a trauma and healing frames so or healing stops at normal, you, you know what I'm saying? There's like other levels. Yeah. Like uh, 100%. I mean, this is, this is my, this has been my entire mission in my 10 years career as a naturopathic doctor. I was working to, to really reframe what health means because collectively as a society, we define it as absence of disease. Yes. Right. And, and so for many years, my campaign was live for vitality. It was living for maximum sense of aliveness, that that's what your life should be for. And that what that is, is applied epigenetics. And so the Institute for Aliveness, which I'm not selling anything, I don't make any money. I give all my time and it's a collective. It's a nonprofit, the students co-own. So 
you can have your American sales pitch commentary on that. But like, you- we're, we're trying to disrupt how society perceives this sense of aliveness, chi, prana, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Right. Because we we're seeing it backwards. We're not integrated beings. And this kind of full spectrum look at ourselves is the only place we can start. Just as Michael Jackson said, I'm starting with the man in the sing it. <laughs> Let's go there. Let's go there. Michael Jackson. Okay. We- I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Michael Jackson next. Um, so <laughs> why aren't most people healthy? Well, let me frame this. Why do we... Wait, this isn't related to Michael Jackson, right? <laughs> why do... I keep inviting children to Netherlands. No. Um, why, why aren't... Like, why do we do shit that isn't healthy? Like, we all kind of know, you know, eat some vegetables, don't drink this Coca-Cola, don't drink the coffee later, don't drink the alcohol for some people, you know. Yeah. Like, we all know. Get plenty of exercise, you know, meditate, whatever. But most of us don't do that shit. And even someone who's like, I'm very clear, my performance as a trainer and a leader and whatever relies upon me doing this stuff well and, you know, being able to be in some sort of optimal condition. I do maybe half of it, right? And, and this is my job. And like my sister maybe does a quarter of it. And my dad probably did an eighth of it. Why are we so crap at doing stuff that we know is healthy? Yeah. I want to acknowledge you for, for sharing that. Um, and also acknowledge that before I answer your question, the challenge that you bring up, which actually uh, one of the students at the Institute for Aliveness just shared today, he's a movement practitioner in the UK, actually. Um, and he said, you know, I'm supposed to be this millennial entrepreneur building my own business, doing all these things. And yet it's incredibly antithetical to exactly how I want to be, if I'm honest. And so that's that disruption, because I I have a belief that the millennial entrepreneur is actually exhibiting the aggressor, the psychopath, which is trauma pattern three of breaking analysis. Um, This one more. What? The sound of this one more. Continue. (laughs) And uh, we're a mix of them. We're a mix of them. So anyway. Weekend. So my trauma pattern is called Ragnar. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I, I feel bad for anyone who has headphones in. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, people have headphones, and particularly those in California who aren't used to the sound of a man's voice. So, uh, <laughs> those in California who haven't heard a masculine voice in some time, I would like to apologise. It's the fault of the Viking. If encourages it, she's Ukrainian. She still finds men attractive who have a masculine voice. So I'm terribly sorry to California. Okay, so I just right, we're good. Yeah, so we're, what was your question again? <laughs> uh, uh, why are we healthy? Like, other than- oh yeah, right, right. Okay, so so I'll cite uh, one of my teachers, Doug Lyle, on this. Doug Lyle's amazing. If you haven't read his book, The Pleasure Trap, on a physical level, because we can talk about this in the level of body and the level of mind and the level of spirit or beyond and uh on the level of body we keep making decisions that we know aren't good for us with food for example because the caloric count still triggers massive dopamine hit right you eat a piece of pizza it's giant hunk of cheese so good so it it tastes it's like any addiction right it like it feels good but then it crashes down and the problem's worse it's this 
same thing that happens when you snort cocaine, whether it's cheese or ice cream or French fries. And this is addiction. We are massively addicted to food. I mean, I, I say publicly all the time. I mean, because the thing you haven't mentioned yet is that what I'm usually known for in my career is long-term fasting. Mm-hmm. And so I, I speak a lot about eating disorders because a lot of people with eating disorders are attracted to my work. And just like everyone has trauma, I believe that everyone on earth today has some form of disordered eating. And that's just one example. And it's because we're totally powerless. I mean, who's growing their own vegetables and eating 100% from what they're growing? Maybe one listener if we're lucky. That person should write me because I want to give you a hug. (laughs) You think most of the reason we're not healthy is just because we might cognitively know these are bad ideas, but we get caught in these patterns of, well, it's pleasurable in the short term. It's so easy chocolate but you know i know there's a price to be paid but right now i'm just trying to get through the fucking day you know so i'll take i mean yeah that's like that that goes beyond like you go into the territory of mind there i'm just talking on like a very physical why do we make decisions in the realm of food just to start with that we know aren't good for us um and that plays into when we make those quote-unquote undesirable decisions with food as you said it's a cycle that you get stuck in it leads to many other things that we don't want to be doing or we don't you know then we lie on the couch all day and whatever it might be um vicious cycles physiologically vicious cycles psychologically right yeah i'm not someone who eats healthy because i just eat this pizza so why would i eat healthy again the next day it's the psychological side as well right that's part of it i mean constipation dehydration would be other parts of it that are massively disruptive um to what i call the foundations of health but from the mind level Right. The fact that we were like, oh, no, I don't need that. I'm fine. Right. I don't need a therapist or I don't I trauma. I don't have trauma. I'm fine. Right. That Those kinds of thought patterns with which most people have kind of earlier on in their journey before they drop in and they're like, oh, fuck, I'm human in the 21st century. Mm. I'm not fine. <laughs> and that's OK. Right. And there's not many safe spaces for that to be OK. Yeah. And do you think there's a pressure on those of us who are professionals to be fine as well? It's like, like, you know, like I'm happy to admit I'm certainly not perfect in, in many of my kind of, you know, behaviors or at health, for example. And it, it can become a kind of tyranny, you know what I mean? Like the yoga world and it's like everyone's yeah. supposed to do one green smoothie and uh, like fasting can become another way for people to self-abuse in a sort of spiritually enlightened way. Like there's, there's sort of traps in the alternative world as well as in the mainstream world, right? I mean, the mainstream world obviously is fucked, but then there's, we're just fucked up differently in counterculture. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to, I mean, I guess what we're doing is creating a new culture because what's beyond the millennial entrepreneur is also what's beyond the influencer. And there's so much um, danger in just knowing one face of someone on both sides, because that person who is the influencer has to continuously show and and play into this story that has reverberated back and forth of this is who I am. Oh, yes, this is who you are. This is who I am. And, and it just kind of perpetuates like that. And you're seeing this kind of change a little bit with Generation Z. Let's still keep our fingers crossed on that one. Verdict's out. Um, but it, uh, yeah, I mean, the world that we're living in is a world vapid of any sense of true transformation and that's not by fault of what it is it's by product of the environment in which we live that real work is not available to people very easily let's talk about this inauthentic piece or this particularly in this sort of social media because 
a couple of examples. So when I first went to America, I was kind of, I was trying to put my finger on what was annoying me. And I was 18 years old and I thought, oh, it's everyone thinks they're on TV and they're not. And so they're sort of acting. And then I, that culture spread to the rest of the world. And obviously then everyone did get videos and cameras in their pockets. And, you know, I'm kind of old. So it's like, you know, it was before that it was there. And, and, you know, then this sort of performance culture came in and I saw people, you know, being at the yoga studio, starting to do selfies or someone would come conscious dance and do a quick video with her boyfriend and then leave. Um, a friend of mine the other day is an influencer. He proposed and he put it on video and it was a video on his YouTube channel. Um, and I, I said to him, I get why you did it. People love the personal story, but I said, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure? Mm. You and no judgment to him. I think he was just sort of sharing his life, but he said, are you sure you want to put that precious, maybe one-off moment in your life as content? Mm. Change us even just 1% when we know our life is content, right? In the same way as this conversation feels pretty real, but it'd probably be a bit more real if it wasn't being recorded and sent to thousands of people no matter how authentic you think you really are, right? Like, it's always a bit different. I made no claim. You're making claims for me. I'm not saying you do. I mean, you as in one. Like, that's a common thing that people are interested in in my world is authenticity. Um, so it's like, is, how did that performative culture that's come in, was, talk about some of the traps of that. It sounds like you've really thought about it. And I, I don't see it getting better. I see it getting, I see the world becoming more plastic and more performative. Mm, interesting. I mean, my hope is that, and I, I think this might happen, that true talent is going to trump imposter syndrome um, because of the power of viral media. That when someone is coming with a brilliant voice or when someone's coming with an incredible dance or they're really funny, right, that authenticity is embodied. You feel authentic. You feel that person's truth. Whereas someone who's up here fucking trying to be something that they're not, it doesn't reach down in your body. Now, the issue is that most people don't have this meter because they're shut off here. Yeah. So we can do sounding work. And this is something that I used to do in, in studio practice with random ass people. Like, can you make a sound that reverberates to the bottom of your pelvis? Uh... You can do that. Everyone can do that. Yeah. Will you try it? Are you willing to? I'll ask this time. Thank you. That's sweet of you to ask. And I, I do hear you really asking, which I appreciate, but I'm, I'm not in the mood. So, um, <laughs> what are you in the mood for? Should we just do what you're in the mood for? Geeking out on this is good. It's good. I am enjoying in your intelligent views on a number of subjects, <laughs> which I genuinely enjoy. Um, so, I'm in a bad mood today. I'm taking that personally. So, fasting, let's come back to that. That's one of your main topics. <laughs> When you said extended fasting, what did you mean? Like sort of a week, two weeks? Like this is something you do regularly? I mean, it wouldn't have been my guess. Most of the people I know into fasting are sort of a bit kind of drained looking. And it's, I mean, I, I do. I'm on day three of a fast right now. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I do regular three day fasts. And I find that's about my limit before it gets a bit too much work. But it's um, yeah. a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, what I mean by extended fasting is um, long term. So like one month on water, two months on juice. Um, you know, I'm one of the very fucking lucky, rare people who has guided thousands of people through fasts. You don't find many people without much case study information. Um, and a lot of my work in this world is to update what's called natural hygiene, which was one of the foundational teachers for me 12 plus years ago, um, almost 14, 15 now. And, uh, you know, natural hygiene is the science of what's called right living. 
And it is looking at human in environment. So it's not looking at, oh, me, but I'm a, like, I need a certain diet or whatever. It's looking at the fact that we're all one goddamn species and you don't see other species going around saying, oh, no, I prefer matcha or I prefer whatever. Like, no, it, there's there's an essence of the human body, the human nervous system, it, you know, our flesh and bones need certain things to thrive full stop. And one of the truths in that thriving is that the body can and will heal itself. And everyone in the animal kingdom knows this. If you've ever had a puppy, right? Your puppy doesn't eat when it's sick. And so that, that ability to allow the digestive system to shut off and allow the body to repair itself is like step one. And so that can happen. It happens in different places. Fasting isn't for everyone. I'll be really clear about that because there was a period earlier in my career that I was a cheerleader. Be responsible here. Who shouldn't be fasting? And, you know, extended fasts are generally not something people jump into, right? Like, Oh, yeah. No, definitely not. I, I mean, on our website, we explicitly say there are levels and you should not reach level five until you've done level four or three or two or one. And that's just like, it, I have lots of podcasts. Anyone wants to know more about fasting, please um, up. look it up. Vitality Podcast. You can find tremendous amounts of free information um, <laughs> meant in a DIY format. Because I, I, I like fasting. I find it can be very good for my mental states. I find it can be, you know, the immune system function thing. I find I, I find it useful as a way to sort of let go of craving to some extent, reset my system. You know, I've done it for a few years, but, you know, much more moderately, much more just short fasts, a few days. And um, is there someone that's people out there who think, you know, you should stay well away from this? Like I've had students that have eating disorders, for example, you mentioned, I've got, yeah. I'm not sure if this is a good idea. Yeah. Active eating disorders. We do not admit into the initiation. We like, the thing is that um, whereas healed eating disorders, people who have been out of it for a while, when they come into a fasting process, they get back an agency that they lost usually in their teenage years. And that can be really magical. So you know, just like any medicine, it's dosage and timing. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't recommend that other people do long-term fasting, but that was really as a pioneer, that was me experimenting in a modern human body in the modern human world to find the edges. Um, and, you know, I think I did to a large extent. And so when, when you look at fasting though, and especially the work of my teachers, it was, it was strongly physical. And maybe there's a psychological element of like uh, endurance or whatever is the precursor psychologically to endurance. But when you drop into the deep psychology and you also include things like trauma and you do self-work in a kind of shadow worky way, you get so much insight into everything in your life. And something I often say is you change one thing and that changes everything. Right? Because your most habitual action throughout the day is reaching for food, thinking about what am I having for dinner? Because it is this major comfort because of that dopamine cycle that we discussed earlier. And, and when you don't have that, right, the mindfulness that it takes to be like, oh, right, I'm not eating today. You also can apply that same lever to I'm also not doing this or also why do I do that? Why do I think I need this? And that inquiry, that self-inquiry that's opened is priceless and that's why fasting is a part of every major spiritual tradition and religion you know it's not only physical and so if you can kind of allow it to be um a practice really it's a practice it's not like something you do it's not a, something to check off your list and it's also not something to struggle through like people who are like oh i hate this j through five it's just like you you've already lost at that point 
you cannot heal if you have a negative attitude about it. Just like you can't heal in acidity and stress. Choosing stress is acidity. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. Um, also, is there it's any- like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I'm looking at the time and I think there's, there's other topics should be equally interesting on it. As you said, people can look up your stuff on Fast and Comfort. Good stuff. Yeah. Do you think there's anything we're really missing out on that's like like fasting that just wasn't a thing in the West until fairly recently? I remember when I first did my few, couple of years ago, my first fast, people thought it was some extreme crazy thing. Now it's getting a bit more normal. You know, the sort of intermittent fasting is getting a bit more normal. Is there anything else you think we've sort of lost track of that is maybe, you know, part of traditional religions, like having a Sabbath or you know, it's something just, you know, meditation we've kind of brought back. But I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything else on that list of sort of, good health practices that somehow we've forgotten yeah i mean some form of self-inquiry we have no structure for self-inquiry and self-witnessing right we said we 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 liken it to personality types um this is what western psychology gives us in the modern very kind of gentrified world what is coming and has been coming obviously for the past 50 60 years with horoscopes is a renewed interest in astrology. However, it's been cast away. The baby's been thrown out with the bathwater by the weirdos and the esoteric people and the people who are not willing to go in embodiment because they're so stuck in the mind and out of body experiences and astrology or people are weaponizing astrology and saying, oh no, I'm not going to be on time. I'm in Aries, right? Things like that where where it's used as an excuse or, oh no, sorry, Mercury's retrograde or whatever it might be. And um, okay. I don't even know what that means, but it seems like it's just well, with my hippie friend, Mercury's always retrograde. And I literally, I don't know what that is. I don't want to know what it is, but I want it to stop. I want it to stop being an excuse. I want Mercury to be whatever the opposite of what's the opposite of retrograde? Like, direct. <laughs> like retro is the past, so future grade. No, okay. So what it, what it means, I'll tell you because I mean this is this is you know the ancient origin of astrology. Thankfully, like oh, you know what I mean. No, no, go. <laughs> Oh, I'll learn something today. Well, I'm grumpy, but you're you're forcing me out with your with your joy and your health. Okay, great. So, is it? Any, we need to wrap up fairly soon because um, I promised myself a nice restorative yoga class to look at. Oh, good. So, um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd you'd like to kind of touch upon? I wish it was tomorrow night. I teach, or no, Wednesday night. I teach restorative for free. I would love to restore you after. Fucking with you. Uh, what do you? I, I think it's been a mutual fucking, and um, there's nothing nothing like a good mutual fucking. So uh, your web. You always listen inappropriateness interviews, everyone. Just with you, there's just something. I think it was whoever introduced us. I'm, I'm normally very professional. I'm probably going to get complaints. Um, cross the line. Do tell me. Uh, yeah. Tell yeah. Some- I mean, just own crossing the line, and they don't have anything to tell. It's. Uh, uh, Great. So people can go to andyx.ai, right, to, to find your stuff? Is that Yeah, the- but that's my personal shit. Like, I don't care about that. I mean, I left my career. I left my, I, the, the whole, there was too much pool to be like, become an influencer, be this, be the face of it. And I was like, this is not about me. And I don't want to do this. I never wanted to do this. And so I started the Institute for Aliveness as a way to exit my career and pass it on because no one was doing this full spectrum embodiment work. And so, yeah, I mean, we have more than 50 students now representing more than 30 countries and it's next level. Like what we're really doing is 
in more ways, tracking transformation in a very condensed time. So it's a big science experiment with how much work can someone do and how much growth can they have in a super condensed period of time. And so the Institute for Aliveness is way more like I as a person, let me fuck off. <laughs> because what I mean, I want to go work in AI and, and work at the cross section of technology and human physiology so that I can affect way more people just like the pattern did. Um, but face person, like, I would have put on more makeup if that mattered. <laughs> You're good. You're good. So the Institute of Aliveness.com. For Aliveness, Mark. <laughs> Aliveness.com. And it says, meet our founder. There you are. And I'm sure you're on various podcasts. There's lots of other. Oh, you've got Simon involved. Simon Borg Olivier. He's a lovely man. Yeah, one of my besties. There's a fucking true yogi. I'd l- actually maybe maybe you'll do this with me um i've wanted for many years to put on a, a conference that's looking at like real yogis alive today and the state of yoga <laughs> real deal yogis there's uh yeah. why don't we do an event called real fucking yoga and just to annoy <laughs> and invite it what do you reckon like that, <laughs> i'm in i'm in have a good time and dylan's on <laughs> okay so go check it out if simon you know doing- dylan i mean dylan and yeah they're two very dear friends of mine when Dylan and I, we just geek out for hours and hours about embodiment. Um, so Institute... Dylan, Dylan's faculty on Tifa. Institute for Aliveness.com and um, Andy X as well. Um, great. Okay. I'm fairly incoherent because I'm, I'm pretty tired. And I've been sort of playing on my grandparents today mostly as a game. I, I have enjoyed very much your company and what you've said and... The sort of push-pull play, I, you know, I, I feel like there's not enough of that in interviews. People are too polite interviewing. I hope. <laughs> You're the one who's British if you want to talk about cultural samskaras. <laughs> Irish my heritage as well, so it's both. Yeah, I, I'm, I swear and then apologise for it. That's that's the, the way. <laughs> uh, I hope, did it cross a line or you, did you have a, a reasonable experience? No, it's very difficult to cross lines with me, but you're welcome to keep trying. <laughs> That's my guess. And, you know, red flag to a bull. So maybe we'd have to have you back on. <laughs> so um, closing message about how can we put this? Yeah. How to be dead. So <laughs> reverse it. Like what would be your advice if you hated the world and wanted everyone to just be like really dead in their embodiment and dead inside? What would you tell everyone? Yeah, I love this. Thank you for this. So I would say definitely He's very clever. You see everyone. He's very clever. Very, I would say very funny. Definitely. <laughs> I didn't say funny. I said clever. <laughs> definitely keep your cell phone glued to your hand. Definitely don't say the things that you don't want to say. You know, the things you want to keep inside, like keep shame yours. Never expose yourself. Um, never admit that you've ever done anything wrong. Keep being super dehydrated, not drinking water. Um, keep pooping once a day or less, never more. Keep, um, you know, living this miserable life that your parents wanted you to live. Definitely stay in that relationship that you know you're not interested in anymore. Um, never play with puppies. I love um, a, a poop. Hang on, we didn't talk about poop. I love, I can do four or five poops a day. And I'm thinking I'm just <laughs> doing right from the point of view, you know, it's good to be right. I mean, four or five is like, it's edging towards IBS, but we can talk about that. You can send me pictures. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good. So like, what's a good number of poops per day? Once per meal per day, darling. Just like physics, something comes in, something goes out. Yeah. Babies, dogs. Okay. So puppies, poop, rehydrating. 
being your nervous system. Yeah. Don't, don't learn anything about your nervous system. Keep getting into states of dysregulation. Keep blaming everyone else around you because clearly it's about them as if this has never happened before. Um, definitely don't find a community of people doing the real fucking work, not the people posing. Um, keep following nice asses on Instagram. <laughs> uh, up as well. It's bad enough. <laughs> Um, what else? Um, fucking keep hating yourself. Keep putting yourself down. Keep telling yourself how awful and unworthy you are because there's no purpose for you being born. Oh my God. I'm hurting myself by saying this to people. Too much. This is too much. All right. <laughs> Let's... It was, it was an opposite thing for anyone who didn't get that. And it's just a little bit behind the game. <laughs> Put it on the internet and saying, this is what Andy says. <laughs> So no, I believe you. it's good. It's good. I've had fun. I hope you have, and I hope the listeners mm. have. <sighs> <sighs> diagnostic specialist gonna check my tongue. <laughs> yes. You know, us diagnostic specialists are a fucking danger. You can't show up anywhere claiming to be embodied because we see right through it. Like your left draw so- clearly indicates uh your childhood patterns. I'm just going to leave that with you to think about from now on. Okay, um, we should never meet and never be friends, but I'm really glad we did this. So thank you so much for your time today. Very good. I'll see you in Portugal. Hey, did you know that it's enrollment season at TIFA? That means that we are currently seeking, headhunting, looking for potentially you. That means that we start every January, the first week of January, our enrollment for our 18-month program. This is our deep dive. It is the highest course at Tiva. It is the advanced course and the finishing course, the finishing school, if you will, for high-achieving practitioners looking to make a difference in the world. Tifa is here to create a standards body in the worlds of wellness and consciousness and really self-work. And so if you're ready for that next up-level in your life, Make sure to make an appointment with me, Andy, and let's talk to see if perhaps you're a fit. How is listening to that for you? If you learned from or moved by the episode, pay it forward. Go to Apple now and leave a five-star review so others can benefit. Join the Institute for Aliveness for a one-week transformational fasting experience. Consider getting an astrology reading from Andy or enroll in the one-year health coach certification course. Whatever you do, don't let this learning pass you by. Do something now to impact your lifestyle for good.